the Mac, Obver- Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number two, 425 for Sunday, November 18th, 2012. Good greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips, you send in your cool stuff found. We provide some answers to your questions. We share some tips. We're holding the cool stuff found back just for a couple of weeks because we've got a special cool stuff found show planned. But all in all, we all come together and all try to learn a little something new about the Mac and Apple stuff each and every time. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Oh, here in Fearful, Connecticut at the moment, John F. Braun. And yes, you did hear a different voice doing the intro today. Uh, it is Bring Your Kid to Work Day here at the TMO Towers East. I'm Lucas. And my, my dad, Dave. There we are. So Lucas is joining us today. Um, we may ask him a little bit later about his uh, iPod Touch. But uh, uh, but there you go. You put no Pilot Pete today. Um but we had a, some family scheduling that uh, that has Lucas with me here, and so uh, so we brought him over, and uh, and here we are. All right, um, should we just dive right into it here, John? I suppose. Or do, you, or do you have do you have anything to report, my friend? Oh, had a nice get together with a whole bunch of it, it was it was a combination of Mac uh, podcasters and photographers. In uh, Manhattan. So our friend Victor, um, who I think is not on the podcasting scene anymore, but he was out, out east here. And so it was him, uh, Steve Stanger, Mike Rose, uh, Kenny Lee, uh, a few others. Cool. Top of my head. It was a whole bunch of, yeah, yeah. every now and then we get a bunch of us uh, converge in Manhattan. It's a, it's, it's a really nice place in, in small doses uh, to yeah. hang out. Yeah, there you go. That's cool. Yeah, look for pics or the Instagrams. I do that as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Let's do this. Well, uh, let's see if we can get into the routine of this show and then we'll, and then we'll drive it off the rails. How's that? How's that sound, John? Bad. Dangerous. <laughs> it's dangerous. Uncertain. That's right. Uh, Terry writes, I have a problem with iMessage on my wife's iPad two, iOS six, but no Siri. Of course, when she sends a message, it has my photo for her message instead of her own. I think I know why, but I don't know how to approach the fix. We both have iPhones and she has the iPad and all are using my Apple ID. We do this to share contacts and calendars via iCloud, which is very convenient. But I believe since my card in contacts is set to me, not her, this ends up having iMessage use my photo. I've changed the photo several times on her iPad, but it keeps going back to mine. So do we need to get her a separate Apple ID and or have her use a separate contacts? Uh, how do we make the iPad show her photo in iMessage when we share the same contacts and calendar? And then how do we share a calendar and contacts? Can uh, we can live with separate contacts, but we definitely want to use the same calendar. All right. Um, so, yeah, good troubleshooting, Terry. I, I agree that that is the reason that you're getting that image thing, because uh, if you don't know, you can set uh, in contacts, you can set one of your cards to be my card. And that's actually what they call it. If you go into the uh, address, uh, not address book app, the contacts app, 
They changed the name on me, John. And go select your card and then go into the card menu and say, make this my card. It will. And then it will do all sorts of interesting things for you. Uh, and that's what's happening with Terry here. So um, the issue is that you need to have two different iCloud accounts. My um, my my uh, philosophy on it is have one iCloud account per person. And uh, but obviously that creates uh, some issues if you want to just share all the data. Uh, calendars are really easy to share because. Uh, iCloud allows for that. You just go into your pick your calendar or calendars. You can do it with all of them or just one of them and choose to share the calendar. And then you just put in your wife's iCloud address and boom, now she has access to the calendar and you can set her up with read only access. So she can see what's on there, but not edit or read and write access. So she has full access to the calendar and can edit and add events and delete events just like you can. In fact, John, that's of course what you and I do with our uh, Mac geek cab calendar. And it's, uh, it, for the most part, keeps us on schedule together, which is a good thing. Right? Mm, I think so. Okay, good. But with contacts, it gets very uh, tricky because there is no way to share contacts uh, inside iCloud. Like, I can't say I want to share my contacts with you, John. Uh, so using the same iCloud account is probably the simplest way to share contacts. However, you don't want to do that. So what you could do, though, is all of your devices, your Macs, your iPhones, your iPods, all that stuff are um, able to have multiple iCloud accounts set up on them simultaneously. So you could have a third iCloud account that you create that both you and your wife subscribe to and nothing is set as my contact in there. And then you both sync contacts with that. And that might be the best workaround there. There are other contact sharing solutions and maybe John, maybe you've, maybe you've got one, but, uh, but that's what I got. What I do have Dave is actually a, a place to look for a problem like this. And I was, uh, yeah, a bit distracted because I was researching it on the fly here. I'll tell you what, what I found, which may impact this specific, or at least the specific iMessage problem. Yeah. Well, it's kind of buried in the settings, and I think I had to wrestle with this when I first uh, set up iMessage on a couple of different devices, though I don't have many of them. But uh, it's in settings, uh, messages, and there are a couple of places there where you can set send and receive is the specific, uh, the, the next button that you click on in those settings there. And it will show the addresses that are both uh, where you can receive the iMessage with that device and where you can initiate it. And the settings are reach, you can be reached by iMessage at, and that would be the incoming stuff, I guess. And then uh, start new conversations from, and they're two distinct settings. And, uh, I hadn't been there in a while, but I thought I'd mention that because, yeah, when, when iMessage uh, isn't doing what you expect, that may be why, is that those settings are not what you expect. Oh. All right. Uh, several people in the chat room are uh, uh, suggesting bump at uh, bu.mp, which is uh, available as a, uh, an iOS app as well for sharing contacts. 
and uh, and many people in there have said, uh, in fact, uh, the Borg being the, the, the most vocal of them at the moment, saying that uh, that this is how contacts get shared in the in the way that Terry is looking for. So uh, so perhaps that's going to perhaps that helps. And, and I do want to say hello to everybody in the chat room. We have record numbers in there today. Uh, and uh, and it's a great thing. Uh, MacKeekab.com slash stream when we record. And we do like to uh, announce that on Twitter and Facebook and all that good stuff. So, so you can come and join us there. All right. Anything, uh, anything else on this one or is it time to move on to Scott? Go to Scott. All right. We had a couple of great little tips uh, back in show 424 last week. Uh, Scott says, you mentioned the benefits of screenshots. I agree and use them too. However, while I'm a keyboard shortcut fanatic, I reserve the use of those keyboard shortcuts to functions I use daily or multiple times daily, and taking screenshots isn't one of them for me. It's more of an occasional use. For those of us who use screenshots periodically but don't want to try and remember the correct keystroke for various functions, there's a way easier uh, way, there's a much easier way to do it by using Apple's native preview app. I had no idea about this, John. This This is what I love about this. Just open the app. Select take screenshot from the file menu and you'll be presented with three available options. Just select one and the appropriate action occurs. It's a simple way to get exactly the option that you want, which is awesome. Had you seen this before, John? Yes. For making movies and screenshots. It's very good for that. There's another one, Dave. Should I tell you about it? Yes, please tell us about it, John. <laughs> Do you, uh, have you used Grab lately? You it know, it still exists. It does. Okay. In both, and I have two machines here, so I'm looking on my um, Lion machine, and it's dated 2011. I'm like, oh, that's cool. But then I look on my Snow Leopard or uh, Mountain Lion machine. <sighs> cats can't keep them straight because I don't have cats. I need cats. I got to have lots of cats. But it shows it's been updated and Grab still works. It's 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 probably the most basic, even more basic than preview, but it's still there. I don't know why they maintain it. I mean, it's, I think, kind of redundant, but, you know, <laughs> what do you think? I mean, it basically does what you can do with the keyboard anyways, but it's through an application. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. That'll, I had no idea it was still there. See, that's I mean, why it has selection, window, screen and timed screen. And actually, that's kind of wacky. So I guess you can do a countdown timer. That's kind of neat. Yeah, it'll, it says it'll do 10 seconds when you choose that. It says grab will capture the screen uh. 10 seconds after you start the timer. The, this window will not be included in the screen capture. That's pretty cool. So if you've got something where you want to open a bunch of menu dialogues or whatever, uh, you, you know, and get somewhere that that by hitting the keyboard would would screw up the screenshot. That's wow, that's pretty cool. I don't yep. think there's a keyboard shortcut to do that. Yeah, no, I'm looking here, and yeah, and on the Mountain Line machine, it's a version ten or, or version one point seven, um, copyright twenty twelve. So yeah. somebody's been paying attention to Grab. That's good. That is good, and now we're paying attention to it, which is even better. All right, uh, and then uh, and then going back one further week, uh, we had talked about sending um, web pages as links instead of actual web pages or as PDFs and how to do that in Safari. And I had said how much I liked the, uh, the ability to just send us a link. And Seth says, uh, here's an easier way, right click on the Safari toolbar and choose customize toolbar. 
and then add the little mail envelope icon to your toolbar, which will send a page as a link in one quick step. Again, excellent tips. Love this stuff. So now I've added that to my Safari toolbar and that's what I use. It's great. I used to have a little, uh, I actually had had a, a JavaScript thing that I li- lived in my toolbar to send links, but, but now I just use this cause it's, it's way better. So thanks Seth. Way. Good stuff. John, you want to tell us about, uh, Kenneth and his time capsule? Do I? Of course I do. All right. I'm not sure about this one, but anyways, Kenneth says, Airport Utility has started reporting that my time capsule, one of the first models, has a bad internal disk. This utility doesn't see the disk. So short of disassembling the time capsule, I have no idea how to go about repairing it. I've used this as an excuse to order a new one, but dread having to go through the entire process of reconfiguring my networks. In addition to the network created by the time capsule due to problems getting signal to remote portions of a fairly large house, I've also got two Netgear Powerline adapters, each with their own separately named network. I've read online that the way to avoid having to start all over again, which would, of course, mean all of the devices, uh, etc., is to export configuration, then import. However, the export configuration file choice is grayed out in the airport utility, and I can't figure out what to do from here. So my only course to build an entirely new network. Um, and I think that's pretty much the question. Yes, so I can condense that a bit. Um, one suggestion... Well, the first thing you want to be sure of is that, uh, so from what I recall, because I haven't been running an airport for a while, but when you, when you start it up, it'll show in the left-hand column at least, oh, wait. Nope, I'm going to mention the first tip I had here because I think it's applicable or not. <laughs> so airport utility, there are two versions now, and I'm wondering which version you're running because one of them, from what I've observed, certainly has less features or they may not, be, uh, they may not work the, the way you expect them to. So there is Airport Utility 5.6, and I have a link to that in the, uh, or we will link to it. So I'm wondering if you use that utility, and at least in that version of the utility, when you saw a base station on the left, as you clicked on it, then I think it was the file menu, though it could have been one of the other menus, but it clearly had a choice saying import configuration, export configuration. So you may want to try a different version of the Airport Utility and see if you can get at that. Because um, I don't see that... Having, although it's sad, I don't see it having anything to do with the hard drive failing. Um, it's interesting that it reports it, though. I didn't know it would do that. So, uh, the other thing is, you know, the poor man's, uh, and actually, this is very timely. Maybe this is why this is in this order, but take screenshots of as many screens in the utility as you can. And I've done this when I, uh, or just as a backup mechanism in case you, you know, something terrible happens and the whole thing fails. At least you got something printed out. And, you know, to me, most of the important things would be like Mac addresses of things. If you're doing Mac authentication, uh, pretty much that or DHCP tables. Other than that, I, you know, I don't see a lot of data other than the passwords themselves that are, you know, too tedious to uh, punch in again. Yeah. So that's my take on it. Um, what do you think? I think, I mean, I think you covered it. I, it's, I, I, I I, there's something going on. Yeah, it shouldn't it shouldn't be doing that. Of course, that's that's something we could say about every question we get in here. Right. You know, is that? Yeah, it, it, it shouldn't do that. But um, yeah, screenshots are are invaluable. I have screenshots of all of my router settings and I don't use a time capsule, but but the same uh, policy is, is in place where I 
take screenshots and I save them. And I do also save software, you know, like, like, you know, settings files out and stuff, but man, if none of that stuff, like if I, you know, have to reflash my router and, and I try to import the settings and it doesn't work, it's really handy to have those screenshots to go back to. It's a little tedious. Yes, but way better than having to reinvent it all from scratch. So I like your screenshot idea, John. Yeah. What bugs me though, is just that that specific choice, which really, is that, you know, when it's most needed, that choice is, is disabled. That, that just makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's always, yeah, that always happens. But that's what fills up our box is tales of well. Speaking of a full box, uh, Scott, uh, wrote in, he said, thanks very much for the uh, recommendation during a recent show for the app Lingon. I found it to be extremely useful in triggering the launch of scripts and other items. This is especially useful seeing as the mountain lion version of calendar no longer has the capability to launch an Apple script as an alarm. While automator does serve some of the same functions, I found it to be limited in its capabilities and scope. Apple script is more flexible and fits my needs. I have, however, discovered a limitation in Lingon, both through my own experience and some Googling. When a script is launched by Lingon, if there is a dialogue box in the script, the script will stop at that point, even if the dialogue box has a timeout built into it. I've worked around this limitation by simply recreating some of the Apple scripts and removing these dialogue boxes. Even with that additional work, it's still far better to have Lingon launch a script as a, at a specified time than to wrestle with Calendar and Automator. So I'd say that's a good heads up. Yeah, and it makes sense because, uh, you know, Lingon is triggering this stuff sort of um, as a non UI task. So it makes sense that that you if it if it needed user inter, user input from the the uh, user that launched it, that's not going to happen. So good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's cool to be able to take advantage of all these things, you know. Uh, OS 10 has launch T that sort of manages everything. And, and it's great to be able to tap into it. And us, us mortal users can, uh, can do that too, with things like Apple script and Lingon. It's a, it, it makes things very, very powerful. Uh, I think I mentioned I'm using it as a workaround for super duper because I have it, uh, eject my clone drive after a backup. Cause I don't like to have my clone mounted all the time because I wind up accidentally searching on that you know, spotlight, I know it's not supposed to find it, but I've had issues where, and it's just simpler to not have it there. But mountain lion took away super duper's ability to mount on, uh, on launch, uh, or on mount on, on script launch. And so, uh, so Dave Nanian's working on that and I'm sure he's got a fix that he's going to come out with. But in the meantime, I'm using Lingon to set up a launch D thing. And it, uh, it's just an Apple script that mounts the drive. So, it's good stuff. Makes me feel very, very proud to be able to do that. Yeah, just be careful because with great power comes great responsibility. I forget where that's from. That is, <laughs> but, yeah, that, that that is true. Is that you could ruin everything with Lingon potentially? So, but I think they tell you that at the beginning. Right. Right. All right. If you don't know what it is. Don't touch it. Well, that's that's right? the real trick. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. Uh, this is one of those questions where, uh, having prepped the day before I, and it's a long, there's a long trail on this question. So bear with me, but I think I've, I think I can help. Uh, Joe writes, I have a three GS iPhone and iOS 601 installed on it. My calendar app is my calendar app is acting goofy in the list mode. 
What happens is that I open it and it starts moving around sometimes many months at a time before sometimes settling down to where I can touch today and it'll go to today and stay at today. This obviously makes it difficult to check on a given date. I think it may be related to iCloud. I think the problem started with iOS 6. I'm almost certain and it's obviously really frustrating and I can't seem to find anything on the Apple site about it. Maybe this is only with the 3GS, but it is a supported phone for iOS 6. So the, the good news is, um, as you know, I would have said before, this isn't supposed to happen. Um, and more specifically, it doesn't happen on the 3GS uh, that we have here at the house that uh, is also on iOS 6. So the good news, again, is that there uh, is a known use case where, you know, this issue is not happening for you. So uh, it's it, the, the, the solution is... Um, I'm not sure, uh, but I've got some ideas. Um, I think, though, you may be right about iCloud being part of it. Uh, and because of that, I think the best thing to do is to wipe out your iCloud calendars from that device and then bring them back in. It, it seems like there's just something going on that's confusing the phone. So what I would do uh, is... You uh, you would go into your uh, settings and then uh, go into iCloud. And I'm, I'm walking there with you, so bear with me. So settings on your iPhone. And this is good for anybody that's having issues with contacts, calendars, anything with iCloud. You go into settings, iCloud. Choose your iCloud account. You probably only have one, but as we said before, you might have two. And then just turn off calendars, in, in your case, Joe. And uh, and it will warn you. It will say, hey, look, if you turn this off, we're going to delete all this stuff from your device. That's what you want to do, because remember, and this is important. The cloud is the master. OK. Um, and and so but that but it, it, it sounds kitschy, but it's true. Your your computer, your iPhone, any of your devices are no longer the master device. It used to be that way, but it's not that way anymore. So the cloud is the master, which means if you delete all the calendars from your iPhone and then later, uh, which you are going to do, you turn it back on on there. It will pull everything down from the uh, from the cloud. So uh, it's safe to do this. The cloud is the master. Right. Um, so that's what you want to do. You want to turn off calendars and then give it. I would give your phone a good 15 minutes to sort of. Uh, process the fact that all of these uh, entries have been deleted, get over that, maybe even a restart of the phone, then come back in, turn calendars back on. It'll uh, it'll begin to process those again. That that's going to take a lot of time too. you know, especially on a slower phone as it as it pulls them in. But uh, but that should do it. I think so. All right. No, I just had something happen. Yes, I do. Good. (laughs) It was very upsetting. So for this event that I was at um, yesterday, uh, the organizer sent out an invite, uh, you know, a standard iCal style invite. And it came in. I'm not sure if the problem was that it came in on my iPhone first and I tried to accept it or it came into my computer first. But whatever happened, it would appear on the computer. Yeah. So I think I accepted on the computer it appear on the computer. And then I chose the account and I put it under my iCloud account. And so it appeared on the computer and that was cool. 
but I'm waiting for it to appear on my phone as well because the phone does alerts and that's, uh, you know, as you heard earlier, the, the phone is near me. It would never push it to the phone. Nothing that resulted from the invite would go, even though it also appeared online. And that's what bugged me. I thought, oh, maybe it's just stuck on the computer for some stupid reason. But I went online to iCloud.com and I saw it there, too. So I'm like, all right, wait, I'm seeing it on two iCloud devices, but not the phone itself. And eventually I created it manually and, and pasted in the information. Um, that's weird. But, and it but was- it, I'm trying to think in that, you know, does this apply to this, you know, uh, statement you're making and that the cloud is the master and for whatever reason i guess it sounds like well i don't know i mean well, it sounds it, like it got pushed into the cloud partially but the phone refused to see it i, I don't know it, why maybe it sounds like your phone connection. it sounds like your phone has has either lost or temporarily had lost sync with the cloud because if it appeared online then that's you know um, I had, it, you know, this is, this is weird and, and i can't remember if i had this issue or if it was a listener who had a similar issue uh, but I but uh, the solution was to restart the phone and then iCloud behaved again and started. Oh, it was me. I had issues with um, I, I've been testing an iPad mini and uh, that Apple sent me. And unfortunately, it has to go back. Um, but uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it. But uh, but I noticed that I had no uh, bookmarks in Safari. I'm like, oh, that's mm. not good, you know, and uh and so I quit Safari, actually, I didn't, and, and that didn't work, but I restarted the, the iPad mini and magically everything was there. So there, there, that may be, that may be part of it. Yep. You know, I turned it off, turned it on, didn't reappear. Huh. Then eventually, I think the thing was maybe because I chose a different calendar. It was initially, I was trying to put it on the home calendar. Okay. Eventually I put it, I think on the untitled calendar and uh, then it appeared. So, but who knows? Is there a way to scrub it? Is there like an iCloud reset? I wonder if they have a there. Um, a master re uh, the 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 big switch. Is there an iCloud big switch? That's a good question. Nice. I don't. We should look into that. Know that there is that. Um, I mean, you can reset your phone and all of that stuff but yeah like what if you want to erase your entire calendar well i guess you would just have to go and erase all of the calendars right and then all the events on them go away is, yeah or more a resync like a repush or something well that's you know the reason because it sounds like just, in this case one of the databases yeah was uh okay that's and that's what we just talked about to joe right is turn it off yeah. and then turn it back on yeah but uh but it, it does bring us back to uh to the point that that the cloud is the master. That's almost something that should be said with lots of reverb and, and feeling. Don't you think John? I would. Yeah. And yeah. Maybe uh, the cloud is the master, which, you know, it's funny. That reminds me, it's sort of like a star Wars thing, which, which reminds me of something I've been meaning to tell you, buddy. Uh, Lucas. Yeah. I am your father. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, though, Lucas, uh, we have you here. We, um, I think he knew that one. I think he knew that one. That's right. Uh, you had to wait new... all this time just to build up to this moment. Did you <laughs> listen, man, when you get, when you're going <laughs> to tease something up like that, you've got to go, you know, all the way. No, uh, <laughs> earlier today though, you know, Lucas. So I, I mentioned in the last show that Lucas has, uh, has, has commandeered the iPod touch, uh, the fifth generation iPod touch that we have here at the house. And 
I mentioned in the show last show that it's your favorite uh, gaming device. Yeah, I had the iPad two, and I had the I have the iPhone four now. And um, when I got this, I like how the screen on this is big, and I'll carry this more I, than I will my iPad. And so if I I can have like all my gaming stats and stuff on this. And all my progress and my iPad, I would get progress, but then at school and stuff, I wouldn't have that progress right in my pocket. It would be at my house. Right. And now I have a device that I'll bring basically everywhere that has a big enough screen that I like playing on it because my thumbs now take up that extra space Uh on it. So they're... So you find gameplay on the iPod Touch better than gameplay on uh, on the fifth gen Touch better than than on your previous one? Yeah, definitely. Really? Because that's it, interesting. You're you're with this. You're really getting the full size of the old screen because you, your your thumbs take up about as much space as it, it's bigger, right? And so then you get the full gameplay of the other screen. Very interesting, and and. You find that games are built. Uh, th- I mean, a lot of your games are already updated for the bigger screen. Yeah. The the one thing I don't like is like I'm going to take Madden 12, for example. It has the bars on the side. And so if I use the bars, it won't sense it. It totally that's just dead space. And so it sort of is a weird thing for the games that aren't updated. Sure. Yeah, it is good for the ones that are. Yeah. Wow, interesting. I hadn't even thought about that when we were talking about it last week, but that's it's so it's good that you're here. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, speaking of that, John, you're going to appreciate this. Earlier today, uh, Lucas and I, in fact, maybe an hour before we did, we came over to do the show, we were on the couch and you wanted to download a game. You wanted to download um, Infinity Blade 2. In- Infinity Blade 2. And so we started it downloading. And of course, it's a gig in size, right? This game, John, and uh, and for whatever reason, he didn't have it on his iPod, so it was taking a while. And we were sitting in the living room, which is where the uh, main router for the house is, which is the Buffalo. Uh, it's the eight hundred two point eleven AC router. I can't remember the model number off the top of my head. We'll put it in the show notes. But it's a it's a you know it's the the crazy new router that they have. And I've actually hacked it and put uh, DDWRT on it because it's it's what I do. Um, yeah, you know, come on, like, how could I not? Uh, but anyway, so I thought, well, this is interesting. So he's downloading, of course we have a five gigahertz network and a 2.4 gigahertz network. And, and we were maybe what, 15 feet away from the router sitting on the couch. So I figured, well, this is a good opportunity to check speeds. Um, you know, we always talk about which is better to use with your iDevices. Should you use the 2.4? Should you use the five? And so I thought, well, this is this is excellent. We'll uh, we'll test it out. So I pulled up the bandwidth graphs on my iPad, uh, actually on Apple's iPad, because that's all I'm using right now to see if I can get used to this thing. But uh, but anyway, I pulled up the bandwidth graphs on uh, on this real which. And that's one of the cool things I like about the DDWRT firmware, John, is it shows me real time bandwidth graphs per uh, interface. So uh, so I could see, you know, he was on the five gigahertz interface. And I could see, and it was, it was interesting the way the, 
um, I, I, I'm guessing this is a function of the eye device, but it was sort of going up and down. We get bursts somewhere between 10 and 15 megabits a second. And then it would go down to like almost zero. And then we get more burst and then we go to zero and then more burst. And that's how it worked. And, uh, and so then we switched in mid transfer over to the 2.4 gigahertz and going back and forth over what maybe a 10 minute transfer. I think we, we pretty much decided that the, the 2.4 was better. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Which uh, it was more consistent. 2.4, you say? 2.4 was not only did it peak at faster speeds for us. Um, and again, this is all, you know, dependent on on situation and all of that stuff. We have a, a, huh. a test case of exactly one. Or actually, two, because then I tested it with the iPad, too. Uh, and what distance? About 15 feet from the router. Hmm. Yeah, okay. I know. I would have expected the five gigahertz to go faster. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know the higher five gigahertz typically falls off quicker. And we did. Yeah. You, huh. Lucas went, he, he walked up so that you were what, maybe two feet from the router. Yeah. And did it, 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 do you remember, did it make a big difference? No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, you need better antennas. That's what you need. I well, told that, you I got those. I got the big honking antennas now and that actually improved my uh, signal. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, right? The, the iDevices have, you know, the antennas baked inside them. So. Yeah. Yeah. Which so, uh, bears in mind, you may always want to uh, change the orientation just for kicks. Uh, that is true. Of your Apple device. If you're ever having issues, you may want to yeah. change orientation. Maybe make it a uh, vertical instead of horizontal. Yeah. Maybe it'll I can do work that better. I, I can do that with this too. That's right. Yeah, the Buffalo can obviously lay on its side too. That's ah, interesting. So, so anyway, I thought I'd throw that out there. We, we did find that uh, though the radios are, ostensibly the same in the iPad mini as they are in the um, iPhone iPod touch fifth generation, trying to get my devices straight in that they are both just one by one devices. They, they max out at uh, 150 megabits per second uh, on the connection. This is according to the router. Obviously the iPad doesn't and the iPhone doesn't iOS doesn't give you that information. But uh, but the router reported them as as connecting at the same speeds. I did get faster speeds downloading the same thing to my uh, iPad mini here. So um, I don't know. Maybe the antennas are set up better in the iPad mini as opposed to the, the iPod touch. I don't I don't know the magic answer there, but that's uh, it's just something we noticed on the couch. So 2.4 seems to be the right answer for uh, at least for us anyway on the uh I think, on the, on I think the what iPod you need, touch. I think it, it, I think Scotty had the best advice is that you need more power in this case in order to get the performance that you're looking for. That's right. So if I plug it into 220, that's going to be better. <laughs> A different part of the system. No, oh, no. Oh. no, I'm talking the transmitter power. I know. <laughs> There's something, something cool will happen if you do plug it into 220, but it's yeah. not, it's not going to. What's cool is that it's not going to it's not going to increase your your through your your uh, bandwidth. No, it it is going to decrease my uh, my cash flow though because I'll have to buy a new router. <laughs> hey, one thing actually, I actually did- I think most of them have adaptive supplies though. That's, that's true. I know that's or at least yeah. most equi- a lot yeah. of uh, equipment that's sold globally. I know has things that'll handle two twenty or, or one ten. Actually, that's true. These Buffalo uh, the Buffalo routers come with. Uh, 
their their power brick, you actually have to I had to put the the you know 110 adapter on there and and I could take that off and I think it came with you know like the the different ones so I could plug it in elsewhere. So yes, it it probably would uh would survive in uh, in some way. Yep. All right. Yes. Fun fun stuff. Um oh, you know, I know this is geeky, John, but you and I are going to love this so much and so are our listeners. Ian writes and 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 the best is the title of his email which we don't obviously normally read but FS Eventer saved my sanity is what he wrote. <laughs> he said uh guys I was having some trouble with the application Audacity and thought I'd share my solution in the hope that it may be useful to others. Every time I launched the application it bounced in the dock for about 30 seconds and then quit with a crash report appearing. I couldn't make a head nor tail of the report. I tried trashing and reinstalling the app. I tried deleting the prep file with the help of app trap. No joy. Then I cleaned out my caches folder. Still no luck. I then remembered an application called FS Eventer that lets you see in real time what files are being read from disk. Running this showed that a cache in the root library folder was being accessed. I went, I deleted that and joy. Audacity lives again after rebuilding its cache. So yeah, FS Eventer, uh, very, very cool troubleshooting. And what a great, I, I mean, uh, that's, uh, I love the fact that this app exists and, and was able to help you, but I also love that you thought about, you know, how else can I find out what this app is, is trying to do? So, uh, so that's great. That's good stuff. Remember this app, FS Eventer. It might, oh, yeah. it might save we, your bacon. Uh, we mentioned it in the past. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I wrote a little, little ditty about it. You did. Yeah. Or I've yeah. definitely, I've definitely used it. And uh, basically what it does. So FS event, what are those? Those are actually uh, in the, in the OS file system events. And what this will do in a nutshell is show you when files are being opened, closed, read from, or written to, which in this case is incredibly useful because that's where the program was choking. And I would say pretty much, Almost any problem, you, you could certainly benefit from knowing what, what it's doing underneath the covers. Normally, of course, you don't want to know that, but there, right. actually, there's kind of a lot happening. It's kind of scary sometimes huh. <laughs> when you see some apps jump all over the place, especially the graphical view of it is it's actually kind of entertaining. Just watch it on its own. I'll have to, I'm going to have to mess problem. with it. I'd forgotten about it. Yeah, you told me about it probably a couple of years ago, but um, yeah, good stuff. You know, uh, you, you mentioned FS events. I think. And this is my theory, and it's semi-supported by, by what I've heard, but I haven't actually asked. But I believe that FS events, this is one of those examples of where Apple designs something and then thinks about the fact that it could be used for other reasons. And what they designed was Time Capsule. Uh, sorry, Time Machine. Uh, and Time Machine, obviously, backs up your stuff, and it does it all the time. It does it every hour. So it needs to it needed to have an efficient way of knowing what has changed since the last time I backed up. And I may be getting the chicken and the egg wrong here, but I don't think I'm I don't think I am. Uh, the, the, the way it works is is correct. What I'm going to tell you. So what uh, what uh, uh, what time machine does is is it needs to know, obviously, what what has changed. And so Apple built this functionality that is. Even though Time Machine is only launching once an hour, uh, FS Events is running all the time and Time Machine registers with it and says, tell me 
uh, in these folders, what has changed and, and remember that for me. And then I'm going to come back and ask you for that information later. And then FS events sort of runs in the background and it just p- compiles this data and then time machine goes and gets it. Uh, and, and it was built, I believe it was built for that purpose, but Apple was smart enough to abstract it out and say, Hey, wait a minute, this should be a separate service that not just time machine can access, but anything can access. And indeed there are third parties using it and, uh, and it's a it's a great little thing. And, and of course, you can tap right into it and see what's changing in real time. And I think it does this. The FS Aventure does the same thing. It just sort of says, tell me everything and says, oh, OK, if you want everything, here's everything. But it makes it it makes Time Machine that much more efficient because it means that when Time Machine launches, it doesn't have to scour through your disk to figure out what changed. It can just say, hey, give me a list. And then it gets a list. So it's, it's good stuff. That's how we did in the old days. And we liked it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Scanning through every single file every time. <laughs> uh, glad somebody thought of a better way. Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So it's you know it's Apple's whole uh, whole design. You know, while we're on the subject of time machine here, John, uh, you have a question from Michael. You know, I do, and it's it's right in front of me here. <laughs> how how close to in front uh, there, of you is it? I, I have I, I have somebody in the chat here. Room. Here we go. Got it. Okay. All right. Hello, John, Dave, and Pilot Pete. My one terabyte Apple time machine and airport combo is now full. I know the next backups will simply erase the earliest backup, but is this the cause of my MacBook Pro 15-inch one-year-old slowing to a painful crawl? I recall iDisk had a similar effect on a previous setup. My question is, can I manually delete previous backups in the time machine via the finder, or can I simply erase the time machine hard drive and start again. I'm also connected to time machine via Wi-Fi. Should I connect via USB cable? I want my super fast Mac back. Or Michael. A lot of good questions there. And I think I have the answer, Dave. The answer. That's the name <laughs> well, of the theme song. Why well, I and I have, and I have a couple of tangents too. Oh, sorry. Awesome. Yeah, there you go. So a couple of tangents here. So number one, when the backup does get full, then I would say in general, your machine is going to run slower because when it's running the time machine process, it's doing all of this work, trying to purge the old stuff and put uh, first purge the old stuff and make room for it and then put the new stuff there. So, yes, it's going to it's going to suck the life out of your computer <laughs> once this happens. Now, he brought up a couple of options. And actually, I like the first thought. And even though we'll talk about it, Dave. So one question was, could I just go in Time Machine uh, and delete previous backups by the Finder? I, I, well, I don't know if I use the Finder. You can you certainly use Time Machine to purge um, old data if you'd like to. I don't think specifically old backups, Dave. Oh, no, Time Machine itself. You go in the Time Machine interface and, and you highlight something. You can say erase all, all versions of it or something along those lines, right? Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, right. But yeah, you can't say erase old versions. You say erase. All, it's all all. Or yeah, nothing, sorry. Right? That's what I was trying to say is you can't oh, yeah, say no, delete right. the backup that was made on this date, but you can delete certain items. And I think what they do is they'll free up the, the, they won't make the disk image smaller, but they will free up space within it. So you may not run into this, uh, you know, reshuffling. But and I think the question was asked is, you know, is this going to help if I just purge some stuff? And I think, yeah, maybe for the short term, but it sounds like it's time to, uh, you know, it's time to say goodbye to the old backup. And so I think what you should do is just, yeah, just go to the, uh, 
you know, the disc itself, if it's in a, is it a time cap? No, it's a time machine. Okay. So time machine, I would say just wipe the old one. Um, the other thing I would I, suggest. I have, a, I have a better option for that, actually, because this is what I do. Um, I didn't if, finish, though. Okay, well, I'd well, say also make a backup of the source volume first. Yeah. And, and either Just make because it, I don't totally trust time machine. And then that, that's all I got to say. So, Oh no, I, I, I was going to say, if you have a, a, a kind of a larger storage place, uh, you can take the backup that you're about to delete and go archive it somewhere else. Right. And, and time capsules actually provide you a way of, of doing that sort of their rudimentary, uh, uh, mm. airport interface. But, uh, but you know, I, I take it and I throw it off to like a Drobo or something. And, uh, and then that way I have it and then I can wipe out my backup and, and go and, and I'm never, you don't ever want to be in a, in a situation where you are deleting your backup to make room to backup again, because you don't want to have no backup at any point in time during this operation, because that is when your drives will fail. If, if you like me have Murphy on your speed dial. So that's uh Actually, I think he does have a time capsule. He says he has a one terabyte Apple time machine and airport combo. I'm not sure if he has the drive hooked up as a air disc or not. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, No, yeah, I don't, I don't recall. And then the last part of the question between the two. So I was also connected to time machine via Wi-Fi. Should I connect via a USB cable? And between the two, Dave, uh, as far as I know, Wi-Fi, uh, the best speeds you're talking these days are probably 802.n at 150 megabits. 450. And we have the 2 by 2 or 3 by 3 Yeah, hold on. Wait, okay. I'm getting there. Okay. <laughs> and the 3 by 3 will give you 450 And then AC, I don't know if, what, what AC is. What's AC, Dave? Come on. AC is um, 1300 There you go. Right? Okay. Now it, you or, can interrupt. Or is that everything together? I, I always forget. Um, it's still I, fast, I, but I got, I got real world, like seven to 800 megabits a second on 802.11 AC. I mean, that's pretty darn fast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty smoking. So what I'd say is, well, it depends on the USB USB three. Certainly. Well, USB, you're talking gigabits per second, right? Yeah. You know, it, so it, it really depends on the flavor. You got to look at, you, you got to look at the parts of the system to tell you what the bandwidth is of the Wi-Fi or the USB. And, you know, I'd use that to decide. Um, yeah. But also, you know, you got to remember a USB drive, you're going to get, you know, maximum about 30 megabits a second, but that's right. But you know, the thing is I, most of the time on a time megabits machine, or megabytes, megabits. Uh, uh, no, you get you get thirty megabytes a second, right? Am I doing okay. the math sorry, wrong? I thought I, I thought I heard megabits. Okay. No, no, sorry. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, I, I meant megabytes. Yeah, but but the reality is because with Time Machine, most of what you're doing is small little files. You're probably never even coming anywhere close to that. So I've actually found in in sort of real world tests that Time Machine doesn't really use any more bandwidth than my Wi-Fi connection uh, would, would give to it. But again, you know, that's theoretically, yes, it could definitely soak it up and, and use all of it. And if you're backing up lots of large files, then yeah, but, but the small stuff, there's so much transactional things happening back and forth that it never really gets up to speed. So that's my, 
That's my two cents. <sighs> yeah. Yep. Um, I had something to add there, but I don't, uh, I don't remember. Uh, yeah, I think I had something to add. I don't know. I, I do know one thing I want to add is I want to thank and talk about our first sponsor, which is Barebones Software with BB Edit. Uh, BB Edit, of course, being an excellent uh, text editor, sort of the first and and best in breed. Uh, this thing it does so much. Uh, I again, I, I know if you've been listening to the show for any length of time and you've heard me talk about BB Edit before, you know that I use it every day, all day. Uh, it is my go-to. I think of it as my text factory. Uh, I'm constantly needing to do things and manipulate text. Sometimes I don't even save it to disk, but I need to sort text or count how many lines in a document or uh, if I need to delete, you know, weird bits of characters or whatever. It, it has great find and replace. In fact, it has great multi-file find and replace, which is really handy. Think if you're working on, say, your... Uh, your website, right? And you have, uh, you know, eight or 10 documents and, and they might have a common thing throughout them. And you know, Oh, everywhere on the website where I say this, I want to change it to that. Or you want to change links or something. Uh, you can do this multi-file find and replace, and it will just go through and, and change everything all at once. And, and of course it'll give you the option to, to preview the change or to just let it all happen. Uh, but, uh, but really, really handy. Uh, it, uh, of course, if you are a programmer of any kind, HTML uh, all the way to, you know, Objective C and Java in the middle or one end or the other, I'm not sure where it falls, but uh, and they've got and Python and Ruby and any pretty much any other language you can think of. As soon as you start op- uh, typing code in that language or, or open a file that has code in that language, it highlights and formats and colors uh, on the screen all your code. It lets you fold up and unfold functions so that you can clean up the way your code appears, but it doesn't change it on the disk. It still is that same text file on the disk. So very, very cool stuff. Uh, I couldn't live without it. And I'm very happy to have them as a sponsor because it's obviously easy for me to talk about this. So yeah, check it out. Barebones.com. BB edit. You can buy it in the Mac app store, uh, or you can buy it direct from them. It's 50 bucks, 49 99, of course. If you buy it there uh, from BB Edit, from, sorry, from Barebones, uh, it will ask you if you want on first launch. It will ask you if you want to install the terminal utilities, which is also a really cool feature. You can actually in, invoke BB Edit from the terminal. So if you are a terminal type person and uh, you want to uh, edit a file from the terminal, you type BB Edit space and then the name of the file, and boom, it opens it up in BB Edit. Uh, if you bought it from the Mac App Store. It cannot offer you that, but you can go to barebones.com and then download the free terminal utilities as an add-on. And, uh, and then that will work with the version you bought from the Mac app store. So check it out. BB edit from barebones and tell them thanks. And now it's time to, uh, to talk about Larry, I think, right, John? Yep. Okay. Larry says, I'm sure this is Mac hard drive partitioning one Oh one. But since I am old school and pretty much carry to C minus average, uh, I don't get it. That's really, that's funny, actually. Uh, let's get back to the good old days. When Lion was released, I was apprehensive to upgrade it first and then settled on getting a portable backup drive to save each of my three systems 
partitioning the drive and using carbon copy cloner as per your suggestion. I also found that I could keep adding partitions, so I did so and created a Disk Warrior partition, a partition with Lion, and a few other backup storage partitions as well. One day I realized I wanted a fresh Lion partition with a bootable system that contained various hard drive utilities. I thought that'd be really cool. I booted up the Lion installer and pointed it to an empty partition I had, and lo and behold, it told me that my hard drive had the wrong partitioning scheme and it needed to be GUID. I had never heard of this. I didn't even really know what kind of partitioning scheme I had. So here's my dilemma. I've got this 750 gig drive that I've broken up into something like eight or nine partitions. As it turns out, carbon copy cloned partitions, as they are prescribed to do, boot just fine. Why is this since I don't have a GUID partition scheme? I just bought a one terabyte drive to use for this process. What is the best workflow to do this? Some of the partitions are bigger than main than their mainframe counterparts. Uh, like I have a 200 gig partition for a carbon copy cloned 180 gig drive. I guess this is just wasted space. Okay. So lots of stuff here. Uh, your partition scheme, the partition scheme is sort of the lowest level of how the disc is set up. And it is underneath, if you, if you will, uh, all of your other partitions. And there are essentially two that your drive could be and still uh, boot your Mac. One is, as you point out, uh, GUID, G-U-I-D, and the other is Apple Partition Map. You can check this on your drive, folks. Go into Disk Utility and uh, and highlight the drive, not the partitions, but the, the kind of the topmost thing in the in the hierarchy for that for that drive, and go to the File menu and choose Get Info. You will see. Uh, information about the disk and the first uh, thing listed below name and disk type. There's sort of now a, a, a whole list. The first thing listed is partition map scheme, and it will tell you my guess is that you are Apple partition map. Uh, that's the old type of partition map and was built for power PC machines. But obviously point as, as you pointed out, your machine can boot from this because it does. It's just that Lion's installer, because Lion could only be installed on um, on Intel machines, requires a GUID partition scheme. And I'm sure there's some reasons for this that we could go into, but it's what it requires. But it's it's sort of a um, an unnecessary, probably a recommended limitation, but not mandatory uh, from our perspective. But however, Apple has made it mandatory. So you can't install Lion onto it. If you want to keep this drive, now I know you said you have another drive that you want to move all these partitions to, and, and we'll talk about that in a second. But if you or if anybody else out there is in a situation where you've got this drive, you've already got all these partitions on it, and now you want to add one that's bootable, what you would do is find another drive and make a bootable Lion partition on that, and then carbon copy clone it into your uh, existing, you know, archive drive with all of these, you know, eight or nine partitions, and then and then that'll let you do it because uh, because as you pointed out, you can if you have an existing bootable uh, OS, you can clone that right into this drive and boot from it no problem. So that's that's the um, that's the way around it. On setting up the new drive, you definitely want to set it up with your uh, with the GUID partition scheme, most likely, unless you're going to be using this drive to boot 
older power PC machines, in which case I would leave it at Apple partition map. And, uh, and that's, that's that as far as moving things around, if you wanted to move all your partitions over to this one terabyte drive that you bought, um, you can do that. You could obviously use carbon copy cloner because it's what you did to get those, those on there, but you can also use uh, disk utility. Disk utility has its own restore tab and that is a clone operation just like any other. It's sort of a dumb clone in that it just copies everything. It doesn't look to see if there's, you know, the same files in the source versus the destination. And it's not efficient about it in that sense, but it does allow you to do the clone. And, and, uh, and that's also good advice to remember if you're ever stuck at the, uh, the recovery partition and you need to do a reclone, you can do it from within disk utility. You don't need to figure out how to launch carbon copy cloner or super duper or any of those thoughts. My, my dear friend down in uh, down south there, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> now we don't say that around. around so you're not that far south, at least not in my part. That's right. At least not my part of Connecticut. <laughs> Actually, I think further up north they do talk like that. But um, the only thought I have is just uh, just to uh, boil this down is that you have two different parameters uh, that, that apply to a drive. One is the partition scheme, and one is the format. Thank scheme, you. If you will. And you can mix and match them, but you got to be careful sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. So for example, uh, you know, and the one type that I think isn't really used too often that you certainly could use it is, uh, is the uh, master boot record, which is for DOS volumes or windows volumes. And you can even format a drive as a MS DOS volume, or at least uh, depending on what goodies you have installed on both my machines, I have options for that. Um, yeah, it sounds like, uh, you know, he's already, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a partition ninja here, but, yeah. uh, but it's good to review some of these basics here because you can, you can choose combinations that do not make sense and will eventually um, cause you grief. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We have time for a couple more. Um, I'm trying to look here. We have so many. There's so much good stuff here. Oh, let me look here. All right. We'll go to, uh, I'm curious. I actually want to go to Kevin here. I, I'm curious to see if you have a better solution <sighs> than I. No. Oh, uh, well, right. Okay. Uh, Kevin says, over the years, I have known Knox by Agile Bits to be able to encrypt a single application. However, I think the program is like 40 bucks. It's 35. Uh, do you know of any free or lower cost apps that I can use to password protect individual apps? The alternatives, um, uh, the website seemed uh, to only uh, when I searched, I only was able to find things that encrypted folders, files and disks. Now, um, to my knowledge, I don't think that Knox allows you to encrypt individual apps. It creates containers and I think you can put stuff in them and those containers can automatically be encrypted and decrypted sort of on the fly. Uh, and it is very cool, but I don't think it lets you encrypt individual apps, but I may be wrong about that. Um, am I wrong about that, John? I don't know. Okay. Um, but, the, you know, that said, you could create an encrypted disk image that you then manage on your own. Disk utility does let you create uh, disk images and you can set encryption and, and you, you go to the file menu in disk utility, go to new, go to blank disk image and then set encryption to your liking. Uh, then when you double click the image, it will ask you for a password, which you can either choose to or not to store in your keychain and then it'll mount. 
Uh, you could save your app inside the disk image and then launch it from there. And I think, I think people have told us, and I'm, I'm remembering this on the fly here right now, but I think people have told us that if you then create an alias to that application, when you launch it, if the disk image is not mounted, it will offer to mount it and you got to type in the password. I, I think, but I, I wish I had thought of this when I was answering the question because I would have tested it and I would have come and known. But that, that, is, uh, I, th that is one thing to try. That may get you where you're looking to go uh, for no additional money other than obviously owning OS X, which you clearly already own. So, uh, so I'm curious if you have other options, my friend. I got to try this, but I'll toss it out to you because yeah, go. I, I don't know if you've. So files in the, in a Unix type file system have different types of permissions. The one is an execute permission. Yeah. So I don't know if setting that on a Mac app would make it ask you for a password. If you tried to launch something that was protected that way, hmm. you would have to go into the app bundle and set it on the actual executable. You couldn't do it on just the folder. Okay, right. so you'd have to open the package and do that. Yes. But it yeah. should work. Oh, it yeah. I mean, work? and if you're doing it from the terminal, uh, you know, you just okay. change into the folder. I think that would work. Yeah, I mean, I've tried to launch things on the Mac that don't have an execute bit set and they don't launch. I, but the OS may be smart enough to say, hey, wait a minute, uh, this should be launched. I don't know if it is. Honestly, that, that would seem a security breach to me. So. Yeah, I was just thinking because I'm... You know, would accomplish. It sounds like the the concern here is to protect, is to make sure, unless you know what you're doing or you know the secret handshake, you can't launch an app. I, I won't even get into why this may be. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. goes beyond the scope of this. this right, show. right, yeah, yeah. Well, look, we all have crazy reasons for doing the things we do. We're, <laughs> we're not here to judge. We're just here to answer questions. Yeah, I could. Why not? Can't we judge a little? Uh, yeah, but, but you, you know, you're prejudging, you don't even know his reason. So, you know, you can't judge that, which we don't know. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, a quick tip from uh, show 424, John, not, not you listener, John wrote in and he says, uh, I had a similar problem as Randall, uh, in that I would try to disable login items inside the, uh, uh, login items tab and applications would still launch even though I removed them. I finally found the answer. If the application is in the dock and you have gone on to the application and chosen in options, uh, open at login, you then need to go to the dock to stop this and go to options and remove or don't open at login. And uh, what does it call it? It's a, yeah, you just uncheck the check mark at uh, open at login. And he said, once he did that, his problems went away. So for whatever reason, the doc kept repopulating this as because you told it to. So that's, uh, that's that. Yeah. All right. Uh, what else do we have? What else do we have? Anything here? We can talk about. Uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, we can talk about Mark. This will be an interesting one. I, I want to actually I want to get people's thoughts on this. Mark says, uh, I just found a track on my Mac 
in i oh sorry i'm reading my response to him sorry uh he says my problem with itunes match is that play counts are not synced from my iphones ipad or macbook pro to my main library on my mac this is annoying because i have several smart playlists that depend on the play count and date last played smart playlists itself are synced uh but i don't have any idea when sometimes it seems to be within an hour sometimes it takes days I'm hoping that Apple did fix the problem and there may be some weird setting on my side that prevents iTunes match from working properly. I'd really like to sort that out before my subscription is up uh, because if Apple doesn't get these details working, I may not renew. Okay. So to test this, uh, this does fall into the, it shouldn't happen to you category because uh, I just found a track on my Mac and iTunes that had a zero play count. I then opened it up on my iPhone and played it. And within about a second of it finishing playing, the number one showed up in the play count category uh, column rather on my Mac. So it, it definitely syncs. Now, of course, I was on Wi-Fi, but it didn't sync directly to my Mac. It went up to the cloud and, you know, did its thing because it's all iTunes match. So it's supposed to work the way that you want, Mark. It just doesn't. Uh, but it sounds like obviously one end or the other, either your iPhone or your Mac is not syncing the way it should be. So. Thinking about iCloud and thinking about how we don't really have granular control over resetting this. We sort of have to use the machete and we got to turn off iTunes match and then turn it back on and hope that that resync helps. Uh, since that is easier to do on iOS, let's do it there first. Uh, you go into, let's see, you go into settings and you go into... I believe it's in iCloud here. No, it's not in iCloud, is it? How come I can never find this? You go into settings and music, and then there is iTunes match down there. Turn that off. And again, like we talked about before with the contacts and the calendars, give your phone time to adjust to this. Really, it's just going to process all of it, but give your phone time. Uh, and then come back in and turn it on and see if that fixes it. Hopefully it does, because if it doesn't, it means you need to do this on your Mac. And while it's simple to do on your Mac, it can create a situation. If there is a problem there, it can sort of make it worse. Uh, you do it by going into iTunes, go to store and then go to turn off iTunes match. Give it time. And by time, in this case, I think, you know, five, 10 minutes is probably enough. Thing, and, and that's probably overkill, frankly, but uh, but do it anyway. You, you'll, you might thank yourself. Then go back in and turn it back on in the same place. Hopefully that does it. Uh, if it does not, there are lots of things you can do, but there are all lots of things. There are also lots of things you cannot do. But Apple support actually has been very, very helpful uh, with me when I've had iTunes match issues and you gotta, you, you gotta do it via email. You go to the webpage, you, you log a complaint and then you'll start an email dialogue and expect about one turnaround a day from them. So it may take three or four days of, of turnarounds to, to, to get you where you need to be. But, uh, but they are very helpful. I've had them help, help with three different things and, uh, and I'm quite happy with, with the results of each exchange. So not a whole lot of troubleshooting we're able to do, but, uh, but they can help. So, so that's what I got. You got anything else, John, or is, uh, is it time to, uh, time to ride this one into the sunset? It may be time. Is it Lucas? You want to bring, uh, you want to bring the band in? Can you tell the band to come in from outside? What band? 
the band. I thought you were inviting them. Oh, no. <laughs> no, this is terrible. There they are. Good news. We found the band. Oh, you found the backup switch. I found. That's right. We found the backup switch. <laughs> All right. Let's get a... Get a sense of humor like his father. That's good. You get paid to do this? What's that? You get paid to do this? No. <laughs> no, I was asking your dad. Oh, that's right. Uh, okay, so uh, if you want to contribute to the show by way of questions, which really is uh, us helping you, or if you have tips, which is you helping everyone, but really it's all helping everyone because we really do try to take the information that. Uh, that helps to answer your question and help everybody else with it. Uh, but if you want to get in touch with us for those or any other reasons, there's a couple of email addresses. All of you have access to feedback at MacGeekab.com. Did you say feedback at MacGeekab.com? Yeah. What? Yeah. We did say feedback at MacGeekab.com. Uh, that is one address. The other address, if you are a premium member, is premium at MacGeekab.com. And uh, and that's how you can get in touch with us. You can send text, screenshots, video if there's a reason to, uh, audio comments. And if you want to send an audio comment, you can also use the MacGeekab app, which just this week was updated and allowed uh, many, many new people to join us in the chat room because it allows crazy you to... Time. It's crazy time in the chat room. That's right. Uh, so it has all that and more, but it does also allow you to send feedback in right from within the episode. In fact, if you have a question or a comment about a specific segment of an episode, if you send us feedback from within the app while you're listening, it will tag it with where in the episode you were, which is uber helpful to us so that we can reference back and and frame some context uh, around what it is you're, you're sending us. Uh-huh. It allows you to send audio or text or both. Should we say where you shouldn't send? No. I think, they, I think we've got a good group of listeners here, John. They, uh, they're, they're good. They, they know what they're doing. So it's good. Uh, you can also call us at 206-666-GEEK. And John, what are the numbers for GEEK? 4-335. That's right. Did you do that in your head? Is that right? It is right. Yeah. That's good, it's John. <laughs> Different cadence there. I had to re- I had to think about it for a second. That's right. Uh, you can visit the show notes, which are lovingly handcrafted by our own Mr. John F. Braun. Uh, and the best way to get there is at MacGeekGab.com. That'll get you right to where you need to be. You can follow us on Twitter. John, the show is MacGeekGab. You are John F. Braun. I am Dave Hamilton. Pilot Pete isn't here, but he's on Twitter. And of course, Mac Observer is where you'd find all of your headlines from TMO all day long, every day. Anything else, John, before we ride this into the sunset here? The sun is long set here, David. That's right. You is that have you ever called me David during the show before? It's the second time. It is the second time. Okay. I, I, I had it in my head that you had done this once before, and it was recently. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a habit. Yeah, I don't know. Me. I don't know what brought it on. Because yeah. that is your legal name, correct? It is. No, it is technically my legal name. Yeah. And, it, and I have no problem with people calling me David. I mean, not only is it my name, but it, does, <laughs> it doesn't bother me. It's just most people call me David. I should, so I should actually save it 
for you know times when I need dramatic effect. That's right. That's rather fun. than wasting it. Yes, like he, this here in idle banter. That's right, Lucas. Do you have anything to add here? <laughs> nope. All right. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Welcome. Yeah, this is fun. Um, did you have fun? Yeah. Good. Did you learn anything new? A little yeah. bit. All right. We didn't talk a whole lot about iOS stuff today, and that seems to be where you tend to live. So, yeah. Less less Mac world, more iOS world for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Some shows we talk a lot more about iOS. Just didn't didn't come up today as much. You should start a show. I think you should, you should coach him on this. Yeah, that's right. Maybe you, maybe this is the beginning of uh, of great things for you, Lucas. All right. Um, yeah, I think that's it. We'd like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast. He converts the show to AAC and adds all those cool chapters that make your life and our life easier. So thanks, Michael. Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth. The podcast marketplace includes, as we said, BB Edit from Barebones Software, PDF Pen for iPhone, iPad, and Mac from Smile, and Gazelle.com to sell all your cool stuff back. Lucas, do you have one bit of advice that you might want to share at the end of the show here? Don't get caught. Made up.